T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one... They're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Here's a good idea. Have a point. It makes it so much more interesting for the listener. Welcome to At Your Service. Brad Young in this evening. Uh, you know, normally I'm charging like 400 bucks an hour, but I am setting that aside on Wednesday evenings here on Camel X because that's what At Your Service means. And I promise you, I'm going to make you this promise tonight. If you listen from now until 10, it will be worth everything you paid to hear it. That is a promise and a guarantee from me to you. Unlike the guarantees you would get from Stan Kroenke, mine are actually valid. And uh, and the reason why I wanted to ask, I asked Kevin Wheeler to stick around for this segment. Hey, Wheels, thanks for sticking with me a few minutes. I'm glad to do it, man. Thanks for asking. Well, the reason I did was because I, as I'm driving in this evening, of course I'm listening to you. And as I'm listening to you and you're talking about the Rams, uh, and I'm going to get into this from the legal side at 930 this evening, but you said a couple of things and I was just, I was screaming into my (laughs) armpit going, oh, come on, Kevin, I got to talk to you about this. (laughs) Uh, And and so I asked you to stick around because you you said a couple of things. You said, first of all, you you didn't see Stan Kroenke losing because billionaires don't lose. I mean, I, I want him to lose. I want it with every fiber of my being. But in the end, I, I mean, I, I just can't think of many people at that level, you know, that's mm-hmm. that you know, $10 billion level, these people that have the best lawyers, that have all the time to, in the world to stretch every case out. I, don't, I can't think of very many that in the end actually lose outside of them just deciding to pull off a settlement, right? Right. Well, he will lose here. And yeah, I, I think he will lose he, this he current will, case. Yeah. He will lose this current case. And there's a couple of things that came out today that I wanted to chat with you about here just in the first segment. Because one of the things that we learned from this explosive ESPN story today was that apparently there was an email uh, that uh, ESPN reported in 2019. But there was an email that was discovered during Discovery. Uh, that an official affiliated with the competing Carson proposal that apparently was sent to St. Louis authorities outlining all the ways that the Rams were violating the league's relocation Mm -hmm. policy and that this has provided a blueprint. Just uh, a week ago uh, on At Your Service, I said, we're going to see the the John Grudenification (laughs) of the NFL. Yeah. Okay? And, and, And don't you see that email as being, to some extent, a smoking gun, but also a yeah. way for, for Kroenke. This litigation, even if this case settles before January 10th, 
Cronky's going to be suing everybody after this. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean it, that that to me had to come from the Chargers, right? Yeah. I mean they were they were a big part. They were they were the ones that tried to put together the Carson project, sure. and coordinate all of that. And they were the ones super hacked off about how all of this went, mm-hmm. right? They were not happy that the league was going to count out to Cronky and Jerry Jones who wanted to do the Inglewood project, right? Because you remember, the it's in this story today too, but the the relocation committee originally voted 5-1 to one in favor of the Carson project over the Inglewood project. Exactly. And it was Stan, and it was more like Jerry. Jerry was kind of Stan's lobbyist mm-hmm. that pounded the tables and, and kind of coerced everybody like, no, 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 this is the better plan. We got to do this. We got to do this. So, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if it was, well, it could be, could be the Raiders too. I mean, Mark Davis was pretty upset about all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and even today, he was one of the people at the meeting that kind of stood up and said, hey, yeah, you guys remember when, uh, when you said it, it should be the Carson plan? Remember that? I just want to remind you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, Raiders and Chargers people or both are probably the ones that sent that, uh, that email. But, but the second thing we learned today, and, and I, have, I have categorized, I'm not going to go through all those details tonight, but I have gone through the pleadings mm-hmm. that St. Louis filed, and I've kind of added up all of the damages and gone through those in, in shows past. And it adds up just without even counting punitive damages. Mm-hmm. When you, when you add in the relocation fees, when you add in the lost tax revenue, when you add in the damages from uh, for designing the stadium and all, you add all that up together, mm-hmm. you get to a billion dollars. Yep. Okay. Yep. And that's before we talk about punitive damages, mm-hmm. which are, of course, based upon the, the financial resources of the defendants. What we learned today, and I want to see if this gives you any sense of encouragement, <laughs> what we learned today please, please, please. is that apparently there have been settlement negotiations, and from people who were apparently in the room, either a billion dollars has been offered or something short of a billion. And, and if we assume for the moment that that's true, that means that St. Louis has turned that down as an offer. Does that give you any encouragement about how this case is going to ultimately turn out if St. Louis has turned down a settlement offer of something close to a billion dollars? Yes. Um, and, and I don't know the motivation behind it because obviously there could be other things. I mean, it could be as much as they, they do want to just get all this stuff out there. They want these people to testify. They want them to have to get on the stand and defend, defend themselves and all mm-hmm. that. So I, I, I would say that I'm, I'm be not, not having a legal background. I would think that, yes, that means that they feel pretty good about it. But I also see, too, that there could be the other motivations to like, all right, we're going to make them squirm, too. We want them to actually have to go out there. And by the way, we do want this to be disclosed publicly because of what they did. But I would assume that it's it's probably because they feel strongly about what they have. Yeah. Well, I, I have. And they are, as you point out, they, they, they've been winning all along. Yes. I mean, really, They're, the only thing they lost on was having Bob Litz removed from the legal team. And but that was minor. Yeah, I yeah, mean, exactly. Because I, I had a uh, uh, sports law guy on last week, Daniel Wallach, who's been yep. covering this. And he's he was, been covering it very and well. And he's great. And he just said, look, in the end, that might actually be a benefit to St. Louis because it, it'll be one less thing for the NFL side to nitpick if they lose. Correct. We're like, hey, this guy's a witness and he's on the, you know, he's on the, exactly. on the, on you the St. Louis team. You that as an issue. Yes. Yeah. That's removed as an issue. Yeah. Uh, but the bottom line is that we, uh, <laughs> I just there is nothing in my legal background that tells me anything other than this case must settle. If because, you're on the NFL side, I would think so. Yeah. Do you think Do you think Robert Kraft wants his emails released about him hanging out at a massage parlor <laughs> in Florida? Do no. you think he wants those to come out? No, they no, don't. He I'm, doesn't want those. I'm to actually come out. shocked that it's gotten this close. I thought for sure that those other owners, but in particular those power brokers, right, like Robert Kraft, like the Mara family in New York, I'm surprised they haven't 
really pushed forward more to get Stan to settle. Well, and, and listen, we got we're coming up here on a hard break, but I'm going to dive into this more around 9:30 awesome. this evening. And Wheels, thanks for sticking around Glad for the next segment. Man. Love to talk to you, my friend. Hey, coming up after the break, we're going to talk to uh, to David Harsity. You know him. He's with the Heritage Foundation. He's got a new book out about Europe and about how we should not follow in the European footsteps in so many areas. So we'll break that down with David Harsony in just a minute. Brad Young, at your service tonight on X. Don't go away. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one... They're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Hey, welcome back to At Your Service. We're going to switch gears here. We're going to come back to the Rams story in about 9.30 this evening, so you're going to want to stick around for that. But but if you think about this, over so much of our history, America has simply followed the lead of our European cousins on issues related to fashion, like I follow fashion, hardly, uh, government, social programs, and even taxes. But the question is, is that such a good idea? So David Harsony with the Heritage Foundation, he's written an excellent book uh, entitled Euro Trash: Why America Must Reject the Failed Ideas of a Dying Continent. Hey, David, welcome back to KMOX. Thanks. I appreciate it. Appreciate you having me. Sure. It's great to have you in in here this evening. Hey, you know, the last actor to play the iconic superhero symbol of America, Superman, is British. And but, <laughs> but even though we import actors in fashion from Europe, you argue in your book that America could not and should not import European solutions to American problems. So let's let's start with this if we could. How do typical Europeans see Americans? Um, I would say they see us as as highly unsophisticated, slack jawed yokels who walk around with guns and are obese and uh, you know and and, and uh, watch TV all day. And listen, to some extent, they're right about that. But um, the problem is that we're also for them is that we're also risk takers. We're also entrepreneurs. We also like our freedoms. We've also built a nation that is wealthier and, in my estimation, more or my view, more moral than than Europe and has done better things than mm-hmm. Europe, not merely, you know, a hundred for the past hundred years, but even today and moving forward. So um, we're a lot of things. We're a lot of the bad things they think, but we're a lot of the good things they don't know about. Uh, but, but doesn't the fact uh, that for the past at least 80 years or so, the United States has been the primary protector of freedom and democracy in the world. And, and doesn't that fact actually allow European countries to, to devote enormous resources to social programs because they leave the defense of freedom to the United States. 
Uh, certainly part of it. And uh, there's only been peace in Europe, talking about historically, over the past 70 years or whatever it is, since the United States has taken steward of the world. So um, in truth, the Germans and other nations don't even pay their fair share of NATO. I know Donald Trump talked about that and people were upset in the way he spoke about it, but that's a longstanding complaint of the United States going back to other presidents like Barack Obama. Um, they spend a lot on social welfare programs and, and a welfare state program, and they tax themselves very, at very high rates as well. Um, but they wouldn't probably be able to do any of that if, we, if they, we, we hadn't protected them specifically after World War II and during the Cold War. Uh, we're talking to David Harsony. He's the author of the new book, Eurotrash, Why America Must Reject the Failed Ideas of a Dying Continent. What are some of those failed ideas, David? And I, and I, and I read your book over the last several days. Uh, what are some of those failed ideas uh, that you get into in terms of these failed ideas of Europe? Which, which are those in particular? Well, we can start with the European Union and sort of top-down economic control of nations, you know, hyper-specific regulations about everything they do, now bleeding into trying to define what their culture should be as well. The European Union was actually based on the idea of the, Ameri- of the Ameri- United States of federalism, of loose confederation, at least economically, of states. Um, but that's not what it became. You know, they have crushed and sapped creativity and entrepreneurship, as I mentioned. You think about the top 30 tech companies right now in the world. Only one is European. Europe, you know, is a very rich place. It should be doing better. Um, Americans, incidentally, make up most of those companies. And uh, that's not simply because, you know, we're not born smarter than Europeans or anything like that. We just have a culture that uh, fosters that kind of thinking and growth. Um, And another thing I would say that's important these days is immigration. Um, America is built to assimilate new people. It doesn't mean I'm talking about normal immigration, not illegal immigration, which is a separate issue. Um, And we assimilate them well. I live in the D.C. area. I have neighbors from all over the place, some of them killing each other right now uh, elsewhere, who live here peacefully, send their kids to the same schools, are sometimes friends with each other. That is not that is the norm here, uh, despite the contention that we are intolerant people, the opposite is actually true in most cases. Uh, Europe does not have that. Europe has generational ghettos in certain places outside of Paris and Germany and other, you know, in other places. And they've been unable to assimilate people. And that's caused tension and um, throughout their society. Yeah, we've even seen the so-called uh, no-go zones in France that are that are controlled by, by uh, uh, predominantly Middle Eastern individuals who just don't assimilate and become part of the overall broader French culture. Right. And in part, the problem is that the nation doesn't have that expectation of newcomers where we do have that here, but also because Europe has lost the idea of what it's supposed to be. Maybe France less than some other countries, but there were distinctive cultures. Hungarians are a people. They've been around a long time. They have a lot of ideas about the world, uh, Germans and et cetera. And, uh, they no longer feel the, the need to compel people to to embrace those ideas. It doesn't mean that you can't hold on to pieces of your culture, of course, but it does mean that you have to let some things go and accept new ideas about the world, liberal ones, hopefully, in the in the 
you know, in the purest sense, liberal. Yeah, in the purest sense. I understand. David Harsney is the author of the new book, Eurotrash, Why America Must Reject the Failed Ideas of a Dying Continent. One of the things that I found very interesting, David, in your book was you mentioned about the idea of American exceptionalism. And you you list some quotes from various individuals in Europe uh, on what they think of that term American America exceptionalism. And at least from my perspective, uh, American exceptionalism doesn't mean that Americans are exceptional. What it means, at least from my perspective, and correct me if if you feel differently, but my view on it is is that the exceptionalism comes from the fact that we have freedom, that we have the opportunity to take a risk in order to 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 build companies, to build continents, to to uh, make the land in such a way like we did 200 years ago to take the risk to to turn it into farmland and to reach the west coast and and to to take over the continent and to make it a country and that sort of rugged individualism to me is the american exceptionalism not that we're better but that freedom is always better. Do you think Europe has that perspective or understands what american exceptionalism truly means? No, I don't think they understand what it means when, we, when at least what the Europeans I speak to do not understand ideas like the Second Amendment or, frankly, even the First Amendment in the way, or at least they don't accept it in the way that we think about it. Um, and I think you're right. I mean, let's talk about faith. I mean, I think that people who are more religious, I mean, I know this, it's quantified in, in polls most of the time, but people who are more religious are typically more patriotic in the sense that they believe America is given to them by God, Right. Being exceptional means that people believe that the things that we believe in, the rights we believe in, are, are bigger than the government. The state doesn't hand it to us. It's given to us by God. The state is, has a different purpose and role in society. In Europe, I don't think people think about the state that way. They're always looking for more from the state. They believe the state does give them rights. They're always looking to replace faith with the mm-hmm. state, either whether it was fascism or communism or now sort of this bureaucratic blob of the of the european union but who's going to pick up a musket to fight for the european union i don't think many people would <laughs> whereas the united states is a little different or used to be i think we're falling you know we're falling as well in many ways but so the idea that there's something bigger than merely you i think that's what the idea of the united states and but gives you the freedom to do the things you want that make you happy and it's not just about wealth it's about living the kind of life you want living in the places you want and certainly individualism in many ways and I just want to say that doesn't mean people think when you say individualism, that means selfishness. No, it doesn't. No, it means no, that no. you want to live a certain way in a certain community with certain, you know, your own way. Americans are not selfish. They give seven times as much charity per capita as a European. Yeah, that's great. And one of the ideas uh, that, that Europeans prize, I think, as evidence of their intellectual and moral superiority is social welfare programs. But, but David, what are some of the negative consequences of these cradle-to-grave social programs that Europeans either ignore or dismiss. They just don't understand the consequences. What are some of those? Well, first of all, these programs would never scale to, to, the, to America. And, you know, I, I don't know that people realize that, that a country like Sweden has 9 million people, not 350 million people. But more than that, it, it makes you poorer. It makes your people dependent on the state rather than their own ingenuity and hard work. Uh, most Europeans don't believe in a meritocracy because they actually don't live in one. We do, and most Americans believe that. Um, of course, we're imperfect. Of course, you're not always, you know, people are born into bad situations. There's bad luck, all of that. But in general, an American believes that if he works hard, he can get ahead. And in general, that happens to be true. 
Um, so that's what a welfare state does. It saps you of that. And as I mentioned before, it just takes away mm-hmm. the will for creativity and the will for competition. Competition is a good thing. Uh, Europeans don't view it that way. They are more interested in safety than in freedom. Um, and I think more and more Americans are that way here. And I, I, you know, for me, that's a that's a big problem uh, moving forward. Yeah, sure. It's the you know the famous uh, Benjamin Franklin quote where uh, uh, people who uh, who are more focused on security rather than freedom deserve neither. And uh, and mm-hmm. we see that I think today in Europe. Hey, we're talking to David Harson. He's the author of the new book Euro Trash. Why America Must Reject the Failed Ideas of a Dying Continent. And last question, David. It seems like the Democrat Party today wants to emulate Europe in so many ways. But what would be, from your perspective, the societal fallout if Americans abandon the ideals that led to American exceptionalism and we simply become a Europe 2.0? Well, I, listen, I don't think that Europe is the worst place on Earth. Obviously, we would be somewhat free and we would continue to be wealthy, but we would be a far more insipid place, a place that would have less technological advances, a place that would have less interesting people and a place that would have, you know, less innovation. And, and, and you know, Europeans are not poor people. I mean, though we are far wealthier than them. I'm not sure Americans understand just how much if quick example, if Britain was a state, it would be the second poorest state per capita in America after Mississippi. It's not as if they're even close. Mm. Um, I just think that it's not just about money. I just think it's about the kind of innovations and the kind of lives we lead. Many people, I don't think, have context for how much richer and freer they are than other people in the world. And that's something I try to convey in the book. Yeah, I've always had the idea, David, that without the opportunity to fail, there cannot be the opportunity to succeed. And if we focus on all this safety-ism, then at this point we lose our ability to take risks and all of the technology, all of the things that make our standard of living fantastic here and overseas was only possible because of the risk-taking culture that we have in the United States. And we just don't see that type of culture in Europe, do we? No, we don't. And that's a great point. In in the American story, in the story of almost all successful Americans, there's failure. It's part of the the mythology, sometimes even, of a of, of success story. In, a, in Europe, it's not the same. Failure is not looked at as an end here. It's just looked at as a step on the way to more success. Um, and in Europe, that's not the case. And people are scared to fail. They would rather have comfort and a guarantee of a job than take take a risk. I, I, in the book, I go through poll after poll where, the, where this is borne out. So that is a very good point, and I think a very important point about the cultures mm-hmm. in each place. Fabulous. Uh, David Harsney is the author of the book Eurotrash, Why America Must Reject the Failed Ideas of a Dying Continent. You're a writer for the Heritage Foundation. I read your stuff all the time at DailySignal.com. Thanks so much for joining us this evening on X. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Great to chat with you. Hey, what what do you think about this? I'm going to open up the phone lines here. 314-436-7900. What would be the pitfalls if we simply follow the European model? And do you believe in American exceptionalism? When I bring this up to my liberal friends, they cringe when I say that. What do you think about American exceptionalism? Is it real? Is it mythology? Uh, Is it uh, a view of being selfish or is it really just an expression of the power of freedom? What do you think? 314-436-7900. Call or text. That's what it means, folks, to be at your service 
We're here for you. We'll be right back after this. You know, what has got a stranglehold on Europe is socialism. And what we're trying to do is to make sure that does not come to the United States. And we've been talking this evening about uh, uh, American exceptionalism, individualism, the idea of taking a risk and what that means in terms of how Americans view the world differently than how the Europeans view the world. Uh, what do you think? 314-436-7900, call or text. I've already gotten some texts in here this evening. Thank you very much. Uh, and I'm most of the time, as long as they're airworthy, I read them on the air. So always appreciate your feedback. Uh, Damon's been holding through the break. Hey, Damon, welcome to KMOX. Damon, Hi. you're up, buddy. Okay, um, the the idea of exceptionalism, um, I, I think it's uh, it does pertain to the United States. Um, in it, it's the way that he presents it, and the way that I think of it, when you say exceptionalism is exceptionalism because of the freedom that we possess. Yes, it's exceptionalism because you know I. I don't think that we're trying to I, I don't think that the that the Democrats or the liberals are trying to become like Europe. What I truly believe is that and I'm and I'm going to put this specifically on the pandemic. I think that right now they're just trying to help people to get into their own individualism, into their own exceptionalism. They're trying to give them a helping hand to overcome. They don't want to give money to people that have already reached that exceptional status, if you know what I mean, billionaires who steadily get richer. And then the gap between those that are needing help and those that are totally got so much money, it's pathetic. It's getting bigger and bigger. Uh, another problem that I have is the fact that you're talking about European. Europe, Europe has been like a ongoing you you mentioned it you said it's only been the last 70 years that somebody hasn't been at war <laughs> well for the last 1500 years they were at war with each other sure and w the way and i i hate to put it this way but the way that the republicans are doing things it seems like to me that they are creeping into the uh, scene of demagoguery and also absolutism if you know what i'm saying it seems to me that they're on the verge of this country becoming close to a dictatorship. You're, now, you're I don't know if anybody about, else. Hang on a second, Damon. You're, I guess what you're talking about is this idea of Trump being a cult of personality. Is that right? I'm thinking about Trump wants to change the entire concept of our democracy in this country. He thinks... I, I'm 65 years old. I know I don't sound it, but I'm 65. In the 65 years that I've been on this planet, not one time, not one time out of the, the, the elections that I voted in and the elections that I've seen has any president been this demonstrative and this much of a liar when it comes to elections. 
he is an exceptionally bad person. I'm sorry. Well, it's I definitely all right. see, I can see it. But the thing I wanted to talk about, Damon, is not to turn it into a personality attack because okay. I like to talk about okay. ideas. And one of the ideas that okay. you mentioned before, and I want to circle back to that for a moment, is that you talked about how billionaires have all this money and that it's it's really bad, in essence, that they have all this money. But without a system that allows billionaires to exist— then there can't be a system that allows risk-taking, the starting of companies, the starting of corporations, the taking of risk, the development of technology. I mean, the only reason Bill Gates is a billionaire is because we had a system of freedom in this country that allowed him to innovate and to start a computer company, Microsoft, that literally changed the face of this planet. And so I, 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 you were... You, you were the the statements you were making about billionaires troubled me because without allowing a system that provides for the possibility of becoming a billionaire you can't have the risk necessary to take well, I, th- I think to, you to, misunderstood to, to me a little bit I think you misunderstood me I don't have a problem with billionaires I I love the fact that they were energetic they were they were forthright that they had the energy and the know-how to become billionaires, that's that's not the problem. I mean, without billionaires, a lot of our companies wouldn't even exist. Exactly. It's not the fact that they're billionaires that I have the problem with. It's the fact that too many of these billionaires are getting all these breaks in Washington when they don't need them. Why would you give a billionaire a tax cut? That doesn't even make any sense. Sure it does. Why would you get a person? It sure it does. Right now, oh, come the, on the, now. Listen to me, Damon. Right now, okay. the, the the top the top one the top. Let's see. I'm gonna get the numbers right. The top five percent of wage earners in this country pay fifty percent of all income taxes. The top ten percent of wage earners in this country pay over ninety percent of all uh, of all taxes. At what point do we are are, are the people at the top of the food chain? paying their fair share. They're doing that now. So why should they have to pay more than their fair share when they're already shouldering the tax burden for the entire nation? Okay, so you think a person like Jeff Bezos, who is worth over $200 billion and who everybody knows didn't pay any taxes last year, is paying his fair share. He didn't. He paid lots of taxes. Trust me. What okay. you're seeing is selective reporting. Didn't. Well, his company didn't, but but Damon, companies don't pay any income tax. If Amazon paid an income tax, they would simply pass those taxes on to consumers like yourself who would then pay the taxes. Companies in this country don't pay any income taxes, and when they I'm do— I'm not talking about income tax. I'm talking about corporate taxes. Corporate taxes, but when corporate taxes— That's right, and they just pass those taxes on to individuals. So no businesses truly pay corporation taxes because they all get passed on to consumers ultimately anyway. So then you agree with the fact of the the, the tax cut that the Republicans gave those uh, four years ago yes. that put us even deeper in a deficit. You agree with those? Well, deeper in a deficit. This year, the numbers just came out, Damon. This year, the federal government took in more income tax than ever in the history of this country. We took in over $4 trillion in income taxes, which was an enormous spike from two years ago. And it was an even greater spike. So even though we cut income taxes, our federal government took in more revenue. And that's just a fact that you can't get around. 
I, I can get around the fact that I can get around it, but I, I did a little bit of reading myself. And again, the billionaires still are not paying their fair share. Well, what is their fair share? Define that for me, Damon. What is a fair share? Give me an objective definition of a fair share. Okay, I put it this way. No, I want it objective, not just squishy, objective. No, this is an objective. Good. Okay, if I'm making, oh, let's say $20 billion a year, $20 billion a year, mm-hmm. oh, I figure if maybe about 60% of that should probably go in taxes. 60%. You think a, a person should 60%. pay 60% of what they earn? Really? You think that? And if that's the case, why would, any, why would anyone ever do that? They would move their business to some other country before they would pay a 60% income tax. That's outrageous. They would move their business to a, another country. Now, yes. that, come on now. Yeah, that's How exactly would you move what they your would business do. to another country and not pay more? It happens all the time. It happens all the time. People, that's why they're Swiss bank accounts. People move their money into places <laughs> where they don't are, have to pay those taxes. Those are illegal. A Swiss bank account <laughs> is illegal. Of course it is, but they do that to get out of paying taxes. Hey, Damon, we're, we're on a break here, my friend. i got to take a break, but I thank okay. you for calling in. I've given you lots of time. You're welcome. And I appreciate all it. Right. Hey, that's what it means I appreciate to be, you. You have a great Thank you, my friend. Thanks for calling in. You're welcome. That's what at your service means. And what that means is we want to hear from you. Phone lines are lighting up here. 314-436-7900. Brad Young in with you this evening. We'll be right back. Leah from uh, St. Louis just called a few minutes ago. And she said that if, if regular people should pay... 15 to 20 percent, I believe, wasn't that it? Or 12 to 15 percent of their income taxes, uh, of their salaries rather, to income tax, then millionaires and billionaires should pay the same. Absolutely. I don't have any problem with that. I don't have any problem with that at all. But the problem that I do have is, for example, the Democrats have this scheme right now because of Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema have said we're not going to allow uh, this this multi-trillion dollar liberal wish list bill to tax Americans beyond their means. And so what now uh, uh, the fallback position is to tax what's called unrealized capital gains. Now, folks, that should scare the blankety blank out of you. Okay, now it's easy to say, and let's look at uh, Elon Musk. It came out today that he's worth about $280 billion dollars. But it's not like he's got $280 billion sitting in his checking account, okay? That's not income. Those are assets. And the vast majority of Elon Musk, as same as with Jeff Bezos, the same with uh, Bill Gates or Warren Buffett, it's all in stock that they own in companies. And so you don't actually see any cash until you sell that stock. That stock may go up 400%. But you don't see any cash from that. What the Democrats want to do is to tax unrealized gains. Now, what does that mean in layman's, regular person's terms? It means this, that if their stock goes up, even if they don't sell it, they get taxed on it. Why is that a bad thing? Well, let's look at your house right now. Over the past year and a half, if you own a house today, in the last year and a half, your house value has gone up probably 20%, if not more, in the last couple of years. 20%. 
So let's just make a number here. I'm just going to make up some numbers to show you why that's a terrible idea. If your house is worth $100,000 and it goes up in value by 20%, that means your house was worth $100,000. Now it's worth $120,000. Does that mean you've got an extra twenty dollars sitting in your bank account? No, it's in your house. And so if the Democrats come up to you and say, uh, Mr. Jones, your house has increased in value by 20%. We're going to tax you on that increased value of your house. And you need to write a check right now. You're, that check will bounce. Because just because you have assets that have gone up in value, it doesn't mean that you've earned that money until you sell the house. That's the exact same principle and the reason why folks like Damon and others who want to just tax the billionaires – that simply is unfair, and it probably violates the 16th Amendment and is unconstitutional because the 16th Amendment to the Constitution specifies that you can only tax income. Well, it's not income if your stocks go up in value. And, yeah, we've got some folks calling in, and if you want to give us a call, 314-436-7900. But that is the folly of this current tax plan. It sounds nice to say we're just going to tax the billionaires, but what they're doing is if they can't raise enough money, if the Democrats can't not raise enough money by taxing the billionaires, who are they going to tax next? <laughs> That's right. It's going to be me and it's going to be you. And I promise you with every fiber of my being that you don't want your unrealized capital gains to be taxed. Because that means when your house goes up in value, you're going to be taxed on that. Now, I know you're already taxed from a property tax standpoint, but that property taxes are very low. We're talking about an income tax rate of taxing you. Somebody called up and said, I think it was Damon, said we should tax them at 60%. So that means if your house goes up in value $20,000, we should tax you 60% of that. And that would be 60% of twenty grand. That's $12,000. Just write me a check. Just go ahead and write me a check for $12,000 just because your house went up in value. That's absurd. That is absurd. And yet that's that's simply a transfer of wealth, which is what that is. And let me tell you, there's no one better in this country to figure out how not to pay taxes than billionaires. Why? Because they've got lawyers and accountants that figure out how and why they don't have to pay those taxes. Let me give you a very brief example as to how this works and to show you the net result of that kind of a mindset. I believe it was in the early 1990s. The Democrats in Congress said the rich keep buying boats. They keep buying big, expensive boats. So if we're going to, if we want to tax rich people, let's just tax the boats, luxury boats, and that way we can make money on that. So they did. What was the result of that? Google this yourself. You can read all about it. It was very widely reported in the early 1990s. What happened was the luxury boat tax killed the boat manufacturing business in this country. Because people who could buy boats for several hundred thousand dollars or millions of dollars, they just bought them from someplace overseas and had them brought in. That way they didn't have to pay the tax. But who was it in this country who was building those boats? 
It was guys and it was guys and gals making 15 grand a year, 20 grand a year, 30 grand a year, 40 grand a year. Those were the people, union jobs, union workers who were making those boats, like in my hometown in West Frankfurt, Illinois, in southern Illinois, there was a boat company right outside of town, went out of business. Because when the, when the uh, tax was levied to try to stick it to the rich guys, the net result was that they bought their boats from Germany, from France, from Italy, that didn't tax their boats the same way, and then they could have them shipped over for less money than it would take to pay the extra tax to stick it to the rich guys. So what was the result? I know we're, we're coming up here on a break. The result was by taxing boats to stick it to the rich, all it did was to create unemployment in the middle class. It put middle class union workers out of work and on unemployment. That's what happens. Rich people figure out how to get around the tax system and the impact affects you and it affects me. So you got to look at this like a chess game, not a checker game. Look more than one move ahead. Brad Young at your service tonight. More coming up next hour on KMOX. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.